It's 2022. Do you know where your consumer is? The Channel Mastery Podcast is created for executives who are obsessed with knowing everything about their target consumers, because that's what unlocks the future success and impact of our brands and businesses today. Every week on this podcast, we dig deep to bring you what's working and what's not when it comes to winning the attention of and building loyalty with your target consumer. We've got a lot to share, so let's get to it. And thanks so much to Verde Brand Communications for being the presenting sponsor of the Channel Mastery Podcast. Let's do this. Welcome back to another episode of the Channel Mastery Podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to introduce Tim Parr to you today, the founder and CEO of Caddis, an eyewear company for people like me. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, I, I really couldn't resist to reach out and reconnect with you because we've been in the same circles my entire career. Um, and I am such a huge fan of this sunglass company. So I'm going to give a shout out to Rich Hill, who literally I was on a video call with him. I'm like, where did you get those? And he gave me the whole story. Um, and I know he's a huge fan as well. And then Dustin Robertson also also mm-hmm. is telling me how great it is. And so I now have a huge collection of them. I buy them for my family. And I had to have you on because this is your latest, but a highly meaningful reinvention. And I just think you have a lot of runway here. So I really wanted to bring you on to kind of talk about everything you're well, doing. Well, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. And I'm a fan of both we... of those people. So that's great to hear that we, oh, we run in the same circles. Yeah, they're awesome. So I'm going to go ahead and and I'd love for you to give some of your background because a lot of people might know you as far back as Swobo. And mm-hmm. I just really would like you to kind of catch us all up. And then let's talk about like how you hatched the idea of Caddis and how you got here eight years later. So okay. let's start by just like, tell us about your past. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I should be laying down on a couch. Uh, so Swobo goes into the Wayback Machine for sure. Um, I mean, that goes back, oh my, this is scary, like 30 years, I think. Yeah, that is scary. Uh, is when that was incubated. So <clears throat> that was my first foray into probably professional career period. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like early 20s, maybe mid 20s. I can't remember. But it was, uh, we were on a mission to uh, make the bicycle like this cool, iconic, urban um, icon. And mm-hmm. um, so it was taking, uh, taking what everyone knew of the bicycle, which came from a very athletic point of view, and then saying like, okay, it's got so much more beyond that for transportation, for self-expression, for um, independence. So let's tap into those things and let's do an apparel line that embodies all of that. And we used bike messengers and it was very urban centric. Um, And then later on, we incorporated bicycles into the apparel. Um, And that was the birth of Swobo, which is where I cut my teeth on a lot of stuff, Um, just learning um, the ins and outs of business and and brands and and how to execute. So um, after that, what happened after that? After that, I went to Patagonia actually. Okay. And I didn't know was, that you went to Patagonia. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It was actually the same week that I sold Swobo. Um, I got a call from Michael Crook, who was the CEO yeah. of of um, Patagonia at the time, and. 
uh, I flew down, met with them, and they had Yvonne had bought a brand called Water Girl, yes, which I is remember. a women's surf apparel, mm-hmm. and I was brought in to uh, fix it. Uh, generally speaking. So mm-hmm. I was there about a year. Um, I was fortunate enough to work with Yvonne uh, on a bunch of stuff. And we had a great team, turned it around, uh, and then came back home to Northern California. Awesome. So you were at Toledo by the Bay for a year. Mm-hmm. That's what we call it. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard it to refer to that, but yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And then what did yeah. you do after that? So you returned to San Francisco. And right. that was probably during like early 2000s, I would imagine. Yeah, that's exactly okay. when it was. Um, and started a brand strategy consultancy. Okay. So f- fixing big problems or big questions about steering over long periods of time mm-hmm. uh, was what I got brought in to do. Okay. And had a lot of fun with that. Worked with great clients like Kona Mountain Bikes and had great clients like L.O. Bean. Um, did more work with Patagonia. And it was just super interesting work. Uh, so that was really fulfilling um, for a while. But you were aging and your eyesight was getting worse. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then I needed it. <laughs> I needed glasses. <laughs> But yeah. what really happened, so then in between there, then I stopped doing that and I formed a bluegrass band and traveled the Western United States playing music. And then in that period is when I needed reading glasses. <laughs> so at the time I was a, I was a musician and um, I was down in Malibu and I was inside of an optometry store just explaining this problem of like, I can't, like my phone's fonts are getting fuzzy. I can't see those. Uh, my arms, like I've run out of arm length to kind of move things away from my eyeballs. Yes. So, uh, you know, the solution is, is reading glasses and uh, the offering was uh, not great. I guess is the short way to say that. Yep. So I did a little bit of homework of, of, okay, well, what is this thing called reading glasses and what's optical and um, you know, I came to the conclusion that if there just wasn't anything out in the marketplace, especially coming from the background that myself and people who I grew up with, we have certain expectations when it comes to purchasing things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not about the 100% rational uh, purchase decision. You know, there's irrational parts of the decision that play into it. So uh, if, if you put that in the context, like a super rational decision would have been to go to Walgreens and spend $8 on something and walk out and put it on your face, which um, is like somewhat unacceptable if you were born and raised in board sport culture in California throughout the 80s and 90s. Like we just don't do that. So uh, that was the, that's how the idea of Caddis came to be. Okay. And from the female side of it, as you're probably your number one customer over here, we also don't like to go into clothing stores or airport shops and pick out a peepers pair, <laughs> which are just like a slightly polished, sorry, peeper, yeah. slightly polished turd version of the Walgreens. Right. Right. So there's so there's definitely like that two degree of separation. Yes. But they're just turning the crank on stuff. 
Yeah. And it's, you know? it's chintzy. Like it's a little bit heavier than what you were buying at Walgreens, but literally no, like going through pairs of those like crazy and they scratch and all of that. So anyway, mm-hmm. we got all that out of the way. So now you have this idea, you see some white space mm-hmm. that you could go in and, and create something cool. And I, mm-hmm. what I love about this part of your story, because you've gone through everything you have in your career, you really do know who you are and who you'd be selling to in terms of your peer group. But like you did it in a really, like you kind of kept going the way you normally would, but then you stopped and checked yourself because you're mm-hmm. like, why am I doing this? So I, I would love for you to share that moment or that like time frame at the start of this brand and where you were, what you were doing and like how that came to be. Mm-hmm. What was the light, the light you saw? Right. And it's funny because a lot of it is almost like cobbler son wears no shoes. Because I came from a background of brand strategy and uh, I hadn't checked all the boxes of what I would instruct other people to do when creating a meaningful experience slash product, you know, for any, for any market. So I realized that there is a white space for the product, you know, the product that I was looking for didn't exist. Uh, Then, so the job one was to get product design. So four, four or five designs that I created, got packaging together, and then there was a process of raising money, which um, uh, just was terrible. It was terrible. No, no one understood what we were doing. Um, no one understood the the hole with the demographic, and no one understood like, well, why why does this product need to exist? Um, so they didn't get it. And probably 30, 40 meetings into it, um, you know, I, I was thinking like, okay, this is this is fine. And I'm into it because it's creative. I can get the product out. I see the white space. I see the market. Um, I can fill it, but it's, but it it always goes back to, so what, Mm -hmm. you know, like, so like, who cares? Like, so, so you can bring something to market. So can anyone else. Um, and eventually it it was, it it wasn't resonating a hundred percent and I couldn't put my finger on why. And this is in retrospect. I had this one meeting, um, and it was literally like my 40th meeting. I mean, I'm a, a living cliche of, you know, packing your bag and going from door to door and getting a thousand no's. Uh-huh. So um, this particular one, um, this venture capital, this was like looking at the box. Okay, I get it. I get the product. I get the positioning of the product. I understand that it's a new point of view, flips the box over and there's a quote about um, aging on the bottom of the box. And I didn't even really attest it to that. It was something I I slapped on there in the 11th hour because it was something that just irritated me maybe like the week before was this whole (laughs) like 60s and new 50, 50s and new... I'm like, what is that all about? And um, like, can't we just stop that? Mm-hmm. And why can't 60 be 60 and 50 be 50? And I don't get it. So there's this quote on the bottom of the box. And I go, well, you know, I, I told the story of like, I'm just irritated with like 60 is 50, 50 is 40. Like, I don't get it. And like, why can't we just be the age, whatever we are, like, and be in the moment of whatever it is that we want to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, she looks at me and says, you can't do that. And, you know, the entrepreneur, like, like, oh, I can't, like, I want to tell me more of what yeah. I, I cannot do. So it uh-huh. really struck a nerve. And she told me that, um, that 
people want to believe that they're 15 years younger than they actually are. And they never want to be reminded of their age. And meeting was over at that point. Like done, pack up my bike messenger bag, you know, my five boxes, like, oh yeah, well, well, here we go again. And when I got to the bottom of the steps and I hit the street, it like, it was so like, it was, it was, and I don't believe in aha moments. Like I really don't, but this was an aha moment. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> like the universe oh chucked God. a brick at your head. Exactly. Right? It totally <laughs> did. And I was like, if I can, if that was so, um, if there was so much fear, like about this particular subject, like what an awesome thing to go attack. Mm-hmm. And it was within five seconds, it was, okay, we are not in the reading glasses market. We are in the age business. Right. And if that was such a negative response to the conversation of age, like the punk rock side of me was like, that's what we're going to do. Then we're mm-hmm. going to go after this conversation about age. And now all of a sudden within uh, five minutes, everything got way more exciting because we went from a a product to a platform. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, okay, well, we can turn the crank and make these, we can design these glasses and everything's great and they're cool and blah, blah, blah. But like now that we have this other component of, of, yeah, we're going to change the way Americans think about aging. Like that is, you know, a BHAG. Yeah. And and that is worth getting out of bed for. And from that moment on, like I just had energy. And I, to this day, it still drives me. So the fear that you saw in her eyes, right, <laughs> is really what's driving you here. It's like, okay, you're really on a mission to kind of show people like they really don't have to be afraid because tell us why. Like, what is the platform? Yeah. Well, it, I mean, for me personally, like I need something to punch up to. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you go back to some of my other endeavors, that there was always something that I had that I was trying to buck the trend or or go against the grain on what was understood as being the way things should be. And this was this was a big one. Right. You know, how people think about aging. So um it's 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 just it, it's a it's a perfect uh, why? Right. So this happened, like you've been around for eight years, but you told me like more recently, you've kind of been dropping the clutch on like, you know, growing distribution and building this platform and putting branding to it, like a look and feel and something to raise your hand and join up with. Right. Yeah. So when, like, when was this meeting and when was this, was a big moment happened, like in that eight year trajectory? So we started selling product four years ago. Okay. And it was before we started selling our first product. Okay. So th- there is there is no sales. There is no history. Um, so we created it from day one with this platform of of aging, and that's um, and then when you, when you start going down that road and start peeling away what that market looks like, it's massive. And let's talk about that because that was my next place we were going to go is the the book that you're going to get into. And tell us about this. It's not even a target market. It's a movement, right? But tell us about 
when you say it's massive, like help help us understand what you mean. Um, like really big. <laughs> and it, it's not so much like from a revenue standpoint, right? It's no, it like, is sure, uh, but then there's okay, also so he, like the what the impression and the impact you're making is also really big. The okay, so let's just talk about like like the nerdy numbers behind it. Okay, so. Let's do that. So if you're talking about uh, consumer products for the 50 plus market, it, it's an $8 trillion market. That's with and a then, T, folks. Yeah, with a T. Yeah. They control 83% of household income. Wow. Huge. Um, they are... Uh, one out of three Americans is over the age of 50. Uh, millennials... And eight years will be fifty years old. So it's a it's a, it's a big market getting bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, they're controlling fifty percent of all consumer spending in the United States. Wow. And then here's the kick: because like, okay, that's all big, and you just go big, 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 big down the line. Mm-hmm. Here's the kicker, though: seven percent of marketing dollars are directed towards this market. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And a huge percentage is directed toward enabling this market to pretend like they're 15 years younger, which isn't really totally. resonating with us. <laughs> no, no, yeah. like anti-aging, like fill in the blank. Yeah, wow. So, so that's 93% of marketing dollars that go towards um, everything else. That's incredible. Yeah, it's um, neat. It's super cool. And so, I mean, you're, you, you said in our rehearsal that you've been talking with this audience for 30 years. Yeah. Okay. So this this um this is a huge swath of people, but you know, there's your people. I would mm-hmm. say board sports people, entrepreneurs. Like you have, you have a distinct like brand, you know, that you've drawn and grown around you. I think, but this is much much bigger than that. So is yeah. this the first time you've actually like leaned over that cliff and looked into the chasm? Like, okay, I have something that actually could really positively impact and make a bunch of money off. Like five or 50 times the amount of people that I'm talking to that I've grown up with in my career, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because both you and I come from specialty sporting, right? Mm-hmm. And it seems like in, in, in my career, the holy grail was always to use that core to transcend the, the, that particular size of the market to go into a much larger market, you know, like a Patagonia, you know, people who buy a Patagonia are not, you know, climbing Everest each, each week. So it, it, that's always been something that's ingrained in me. So when we started this, um, you know, we started with a very focused target on who we wanted. And it was, um, you know, as far as like spokespeople or, like when we're seeding product or when we got wholesale, you know, it was ex-pro surfers, it was musicians, it was artists, um, fashion, thought leaders. Um, so there was always that hyper-focus on the center. But then to your point, this is currently bigger and will just continue to get bigger than I, I could have imagined. But the tactics are all the same. The Channel Mastery Podcast is sponsored by the Sea Otter Classic Summit, presented by Lifetime Incorporated. It's a brand new executive gathering taking place right before the 2022 Sea Otter Classic Cycling Festival, 
the world's largest consumer cycling event. Sea Otter marks the kickoff of the camping and bike season and brings together tens of thousands of outdoor and cycling enthusiasts. I mean, what better lab environment do we need to study our consumer circa 2022? And that's why we're hosting our Executive Leadership Summit just before the Sea Otter Classic on the historic and beautiful Cannery Row in Monterey, California. And you know, a new Leadership Summit is much needed today for the outdoor recreation industries. We need to grow our networks. We need to get to know the trends that will greatly impact how we operate and serve our consumers going through and beyond the pandemic. And we need to study this consumer that we all share together. Change can be exhausting and growth like we've seen it in outdoor recreation can be expensive in more ways than one. If you're wondering how to harness this opportunity and scale your business through the headwinds of consumer evolution, join us in Monterey, April 5th through 7th at the Sea Otter Classic Summit. Please visit seaotterclassicsummit.com for more information and to register. Space is limited. Okay, so you're still thinking you can create something special at like a, a nucleus level that will be something that like much broader audiences will want to like tie themselves to. I, I think we've, I think we've done it, you okay. know, and it, it, it's not a finite thing. Like the circles keep on getting bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. I mean, case in point, we go from Donovan Frankenreiter or Lisa Anderson, ex-pro surfer, um, to uh, Mr. Cartoon, a uh, famous tattoo artist in Los Angeles, um, to Katie Couric, you know, who is is calling us and saying like, she, you know, she wants to get involved. And, you know, and then we look on Instagram and you got people like um, Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, plugging us um, half a dozen times and, and talking about, you know, like the mission and the product and, and, uh, Matthew McConaughey, um, sports figures. I mean, it just goes on and on. But I, I truly believe it starts with just hyper focus, and yeah. it's something as a company that we we need to focus on. Is because like as as it whole thing gets bigger, there's a tendency to, um, I think, forget those early lessons. And I think they're just as important as a hundred million dollar company as you are a $1 million company, I, I just don't think that the rules change. Interesting. What an exercise in discipline this must be. Because you have yeah. like, just that you could go so much bigger probably without as much of a focus and a discipline. Right. Faster. Well, it, and then it, it depends on what do we want to build. Right. Okay, what do you want to build? Uh, we want to build the um, the world's best lifestyle aging brand. Awesome! So <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. I just got goosebumps. <laughs> I really did. Like that is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay. So think of it this way: um, imagine if you can make aging cool. Um, <laughs> so like on a super, like, and like, I don't mean to sound superficial about, you know, using the cool word cause I hate the word. Um, but sometimes it's just hard to find a good substitute for it. Uh, but if you were to achieve that, think of all the downriver positive effects that could happen with, uh, mental, uh, mental health, physical health. 
um, workplace ageism. I mean, the list goes on and on and on yeah. of like the physical and mental health that people can exhibit when, when they um, don't feel those ageism uh, effects. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's really true. Um, even just thinking about it personally, like for me as an athlete, like, you know, bumping up to a new age, age group, the only benefit of that is I might be able to like beat more people because I'm the younger one. <laughs> but like, honestly, I'm still looking back. I'm trained to look back at like the younger categories and wish like, wow, I wish I knew yeah. what I knew now, but could be that age. Right. And I think what you're thinking is like, you're going to hopefully create a permission or a lens for us to look through that's like, actually, there's no should, there's no Captain Hindsight. Like, this is all about where you are now and, and where you can go. That's yes. a very different prospect. It's a different prospect. In fact, today, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Chip Conley. He does yeah. a lot of work in this field. Um, and he, he's been on this mission for a while. And I'm on his email list and he sent a really great quote from a book that's about to come out where there's a direct correlation to how we uh, view aging and at the cellular level, how we physically age. So if you have a, if you have a negative uh, point of view about aging, like it's a, it's a descending uh, trajectory uh, where it's health and relationships and anything else that you want to throw into that bucket then your health and your longevity will be uh, negatively affected. And there's research that shows if you have a positive outlook, like it's only going to get better. And this is like at the cellular physical level, your, your life uh, improves. I have heard you have to be very careful with the words that you use because it can affect your well-being on a cellular level. And this must be tied to that. And Chip Conley <clears throat> is from the boutique hotel chain, has written mm -hmm. books, and I think he teaches at Stanford now. We'll put notes, uh, links in the notes, but like he is on, I remember it was like some kind of midlife career path um, thing that he was creating, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah, so he started, um, he started uh, a, a com company group uh, retreat mm -hmm called the Modern Elder Academy, which is MEA. Okay. Um, and the first one it was down in Baja, and now he's has one in uh, Santa Fe. Uh, but again, he, he, he's been on this good and early, and, and it's, it's a good um, email list to sign up for and get interesting facts about. I'm already wanting to go to that. It's, it's just the Fe. It's only a little bit of ways from here in Durango. <laughs> there you go. That's cool. Um, what about the book Super Age? Is that the same book he was talking about or is this a different one? Because you and I were talking about this and um, I'm, I'll, again, put the links in and you're featured in there. So mm -hmm. can talk a little bit about, about that. Yeah, that's, uh, that came out this week. Um, and it, it's, it's a great read. And it, it talks about this demographic and it talks about um, how culture views uh, people 50 plus and how it has a negative effect on things. And um, I'm only halfway through the book, admittedly. <laughs> I got another half to go, but it it, came it, out this it's week. a great it's read. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I believe Caddis is, is featured in that, right? They, they gave us a nice plug for sure. Um, That's cool. Talking about a consumer products and design 
being specifically designed for this market rather than have design and marketing um, you know, target 20 to 30 somethings with the assumption that you already have a 50-year-old and a 50-year-old is always going to aspire to be a 25-year-old. So you put 25 and 30-year-olds in your marketing. And therefore, just by osmosis, you're just going to get the 50-year-old, which is not true. But that's how that's how marketing psychographics actually work. Yeah. Because we both have sat through those meetings and you know, when, when you sit and you really analyze like the 20, the 27 year old, you know, you spend 45 minutes on it. Then the 28 to 42 year old, you spend another 45 minutes on it. And then when you get to age 45 in those meetings, you just put average household income. That's right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's really true. <laughs> that's crazy. When you think about it, so we're it talking is, about yeah. uh, you know trillions of dollars, everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would be remiss if we didn't talk about channels, seeing how this is the Channel Mastery Podcast. <laughs> so I would love to talk about. I made the assumption that you were a D to C brand first, but mm-hmm. I was wrong. Can you talk a little bit about how in the past four years, like where did you get out of the gate and why, and how are you evolving? Because you have some pretty cool stuff on the horizon. So we. We we did come out of the gate um, online with e-commerce and D2C. And um, and I mean, maybe like a month or two later, we started adding key accounts. And mainly surf accounts down in Southern California uh, or high-end fashion accounts scattered between LA or or a, or a New York or something. But it was very limited because we didn't have a lot of people to 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 really do it correctly. But it's always been part of of how we wanted to grow uh, the uh, the overall business. So it, it is omni-channel. So we started D to C. Our wholesale business is uh, probably I think I think we're up to five hundred doors across the country. And then we opened up our first store in the West Village of New York uh, two months ago, three months ago, something like that. Um, and we have plans to expand all three of those channels. Can you name a couple of other brands that you really think are doing today, doing omni-channel well? Oh, uh, who does omni well? Well, Warby does, but mm-hmm. Warby doesn't do um, wholesale. Um, I'm a fan of I don't know who does like exactly wholesale retail and d to c um I mean we're pretty odd to do wholesale does mm-hmm. I mean as you have seen, there's a lot of brands coming down the pipe that are starting to open up their own stores right uh, I'm a huge fan of of yeti mm-hmm. uh the coolers and um God, who else is who else does it really well? Just out of curiosity, like, can you name a few of the reasons why you're a huge fan of Yeti? Because I have a feeling I know what you're going to say, but I maybe I don't. Okay, <laughs> and I think our audience could learn from this. <laughs> so there's a couple of reasons. One is, um, and maybe I can relate to it. So mm-hmm. when they, and I'm guessing because I don't know them at all, but when they were trying to get that company off the ground. And what are their coolers? Like $500, like yeah. the original ones. I can only imagine what those meetings were when 
when Sam said, yeah, we're going to sell $500 coolers. And then someone asked, well, how big is the $500 cooler market? And you know, the answer is, well, there isn't one, you know, which probably sent them down a hundred different paths, you know, to try and find someone who really understood their vision. So the fact that they, they're able to create that category is really impressive. And then to take that, you know, which originally started as um, saltwater fly fishermen coolers, <laughs> you know, in the South. That's the and, tallest midget in the room. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> to take that and then to all of a sudden to transcend the design language and the brand attributes into things that like um, people in Manhattan, you know, crave, you know, the, the kitchenware and whether it be the, the um, thermos styled, I don't know what you call these these days, but um, you know, all, all those different types of things. Like the last I read that now accounts for 60% of their revenue. Wow. So just, to, brand to, accessories. just to make that, yeah, to, to that type of brand extension success, I think is really cool and not easy. And they crushed it. Well, and I think I just want to state, maybe I'm being Captain Obvious here, but it's it's a self-identifier, just like your company is, just like mm-hmm. your product is. Like if I buy that or use that or wear Caddis, it says something about me. If I buy Patagonia, it says something about me. Um, <clears throat> and I feel like that that's always been true. But going through our friend, the pandemic, I think that people really realize like, this is more important to me than ever. Number one, like mm-hmm. having these things to help me identify with who I want to be in the world, even though I may not be there yet. <laughs> yeah. That I think that aspiration has become even more important to consumers. And if you throw in like um, something that <clears throat> emotionally connects with them from like a cause standpoint, because they're mm-hmm. seeing nothing changing with like the entities and institutions they normally look to to create that change on their behalf, not happening. So they're looking to brands even more for that. So knowing that you have a yeah. huge cost just in who you are, just mm-hmm. in being in the business of making aging cool. That's a cause in and of itself. But do you feel like you need to add any other kind of cause or give back other than that? Because of the way people are wired today around these like identity brands that they love. Um, do I feel like I have to? No. Okay. But do we? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I think everything that we do comes from a authentic point of view or we just mm-hmm. don't do it. Right. So the other thing that we do is we give uh, a big chunk of a uh, percentage of, of each sale to uh, to a music education. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. See, as your number one customer, I didn't know that. No, I know. I know. It, it's, some, <laughs> it's also like another... Um, We'll eventually get there. We're we're in the process of launching a separate uh, nonprofit okay. called called Music Farming um, with a group of people, and so and I learned this from Elon. So like it just got to be too big, too fast, and internally dealing with that is a lot. So we created. We're in the process of it'll be done in a, in a in like two months, but it's uh, it's called Music Farming. And so Caddis will cut checks and music farming and music farming will distribute those funds to uh, music education programs. That's really cool. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing that. 
And then and it's kind of awesome that you didn't know. Like, I, I, yeah. I, there's a part of me that's like, okay, that's kind of cool. Yeah. And it's something else <laughs> to discover, right? Like, oh, here's another layer right. that right. furthers the emotional connection. So, yeah. Yeah. Good. I think that's really cool. Um, well, congratulations. I mean, you've been around for eight years, selling for four. You have 30 plus employees, honestly, of a huge runway ahead of you in terms of the mm-hmm. positive impact you can create with our with our well-being. Okay, seriously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, you did share one thing that I really would be remiss if I didn't bring up in our interview here today when we were rehearsing is you said something around one of the testimonials you got that really has been something that keeps you really excited. And um, I'll share what it is and maybe you can think of a few others, but you said to me, and it really resonated with me, you get emails that say, I put on my caddis eyewear and I feel like I have a shield. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about that. I was like, what does that even mean? And then like the next morning, I was like, okay, I think I'm starting to understand what that means. And it is true. Like I'm wearing mine right now. I have all these other pairs and kind of it's mood-based and it is a shield. Mm-hmm. It really is. Like it enables me to like be who I want to be just putting them on. And I don't have to like talk about or share maybe the things that aren't quite there yet. I don't know if that's accurate, but that's really powerful. Yeah. And we've heard it from, from more than a handful of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, almost using this, almost using the same language, which is wow. super interesting. So um, yeah, I'm just, I mean, that's in consumer products. And if you are in the brand you know, consciousness, which I probably am overly into it. Um, there's nothing more that you can ask for is, yeah. you know, is to be able to be of some assistance in someone's life, like beyond the physical thing. Uh, and to be able to um, uh, just add something positive to the world and, you know, people can see better. <laughs> It's so true. And um, I just, I think it actually just, I, I just got another piece of that. It's a shield from maybe being older than I feel like I am. Mm-hmm. That's really what it's shielding. Like, I think that's what it is. Like it's directly tied to what I've been told my entire adult life about what is about to happen to me when I turn 50. Right. right. And it's not true. And so putting no. these on honestly is a shield to that. So I think I might've just put it together for myself. Yeah, and, and and I'm sure it's pretty. <laughs> I'm sure it's very personal for all those people who yeah. wrote in, like what they're referring to. So I, I won't even want to guess, but I I can say that I get it. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> well, I'm really, really so grateful that you came up with this latest iteration. I absolutely love Thanks. this brand, and I I'm also just so heartened that you like immediately were okay wanting to come on the podcast, and like you just are so <laughs> approachable and open and. It's really inspired me and I just can't wait to see where you take this and what your team does. And thank you so much for sharing your vision and your story here today. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. And more to come. I can't wait to hear <laughs> how everything unrolls here. Or Never a dull out. moment over here. Yep. <laughs> thank you so much. And then tell us the, the website really quick before I... We, uh, so the website is caddislife, C-A-D-D-I-S, life.com. Uh, you can find us on the corner of Christopher and Bleeker in the West Village. As a friend of mine put it once, it's on the corner of Yes and Yes. 
and uh, and and at some great retailers. We have 500 retailers or currently at the moment across the U.S. And it's everything from uh, home furnishings to surf to apparel. Uh, so look awesome. for us. Yep, and there's more brick and mortar I hear in the future with you. So maybe that's when we yeah. can have you back. Great. Looking forward to it. All right. Thank you again. Thanks, Kristen. If you liked this episode of the Channel Mastery Podcast, please help more business leaders find this resource by going to iTunes and leaving us a positive review and also sharing it with a friend or colleague. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to Verde Brand Communications for being our presenting sponsor. Check us out at verdepr.com. 